Hey everyone, welcome back to Ask Me Anything, and we are today going to be diving into part two of a question we asked last week about how to handle marital fights. So if you remember, we're in a a marriage and family series, and then within that series we did a part one, and we're doing part two this week. We're here with JD um, and his wife, Veronica, and they're going to kind of keep just sharing some wisdom about how do they handle fights in their marriage. Fights are obviously a part of every marriage, and so how do they handle it in a way that is healthy? Okay, so number six um, is believe in God's purpose for your marriage. And, you know, this has a lot of echoes of number five. Which was seek their sanctification, not your vindication. Right, last time, yep. I think that uh, specifically for me, I mean, sometimes you're, you may think that you're angry at your husband or your wife when you're actually angry at God. Because um, this is, you know, be careful. One of my mentors in high school told me, be careful what you pray for, because God will be faithful. And so if you pray for patience, get ready. You know, if you pray for endurance, just all these things. And so that's very real. So if you've asked the Lord to grow you in sanctification, holiness, those things, um, he is going to use the person you're married to do to do it. You know, I think that you might need to sometimes recognize like, okay, this is something he is trying to grow me in, whatever it is, you know, some fruits of the spirit, you know, other things. He's trying to make you learn. uh, Maybe you have more of an anger problem than you realize. He's trying to make you recognize envy or bitterness or who knows what. Um, And so that's a, I think that's a really important thing to recognize that you need to wholeheartedly come to a place where you embrace God's purpose for you in your marriage. Yeah, we've had, there's another assumption that we've brought out on Ask Me Anything before that really is helpful here. And that is this idea that you always marry the wrong person. Mm -hmm. You may feel like she was the perfect match, he was the perfect match, but at some point, because they're sinful and you're sinful, they become the wrong person. And that means that you're going to feel like I might've married the wrong person, but God is, where whatever marriage you're in, Regardless of how you got there, God has an intention for you in it that is good. Clearly, we're not talking about abusive situations because um, those are ones you need to get safe in. But but in these moments, I can still believe in God's purpose for my marriage, even when my spouse and I seem like we're just in, in the midst of conflict, that God knew I was marrying a sinner. He appointed it in part so he could teach me to love and be patient like him. So, yeah, believe in God's purpose for your marriage. Here's number seven. Speak grace-saturated words. Um, Paul talks about it. Proverbs talks about it. There are some words that are going to be like sword thrust, and us others are going to be healing words. Um, there is a way that I can accuse you of certain things that just tear you down. There's others that can still confront the wrong, but but that builds you up. Um, you know, part of that, the context I know is, is if all that is coming out of my mouth is the negative, then of course you're just going to feel nothing but criticism and condemnation. And what you need to feel from me is love and acceptance and approval. And yes, we've got things that need to be corrected in you and me both. But if the context of, of the whole relationship is one of acceptance and approval, it makes those, those statements a lot, um, a lot more healing. Um, for every one statement about what's wrong, I hopefully you can point out um, three or four I've made about what's right. You're not in your head right now. I'm, does that does that mean that you agree that I do that, or does that? Well, I think that it's important to you make sure that I you're, should set, be doing that. you're setting up the context in your marriage so that when you bring something to them, um, right? You know, it shouldn't be like, oh, we're going to talk about these nine things yeah. <laughs> that you need to work on. You know, it should be. Um, you guys have heard of the compliment sandwich before, and that actually, you should know your partner in this. 
that actually makes JD a little annoyed. He does. He just wants you to get straight to the point. Mm. So you have to know your partner. Um, I actually don't. I need you to tell me how much you like me and how great I am, and then slip in like you know. There's this little thing you could work on, and then but you're amazing, and I really like you. So that's actually how I need it, and a lot of people need it that way. But some people don't. JD, but does even not. with me, if you're going to give that, it needs. Even though I don't like the compliment sandwich in the moment, I, I do like the compliment context <laughs> yeah. where I feel like you're, Hey, generally, you know, you've all these ways that I've been affirmed. You're amazing. Yeah. Um, I've also heard on this one, you're not demeaning with you type of statements. This is the problem with you. I, I can actually talk about your behavior without calling you names or labeling you, um, avoiding just simple things like avoiding words, like never. And always you never put the Frank sauce out. You never put the right condiments out as opposed to, Hey, you know, you're, could you think about how I liked, you know, things I like at dinner. You guys might need to go back and listen to the previous one. <laughs> um, you avoid being sarcastic, uh, you know, as, as part of that, because sarcasm is usually like a knife that it's the quickest way to turn somebody. Some off. of y'all are going to struggle with that one. <clears throat> yeah. I don't know who, but being condescending, you know, like you're being right now to, toward me to condescend means to talk down. No, I to. think I was being passive aggressive. You also shouldn't be passive aggressive <laughs> along with sarcasm. Neither are helpful at all. So know if you're passive aggressive and don't do it. Anything you got to say on this one before we go to number eight? Yes, actually, I would say women, um, I would not be, not just women, but women specifically would not, I would avoid confronting your husband publicly. I think that's not going to be helpful or useful. And that's going to be actually for men as well. Yeah, that's a big thing about, especially for men, like you say, not just exclusively for men, but feeling respected and honored. Tell me things behind closed doors is different than tell me in front of a large group of friends. Number eight, maybe one for those of you that are really, really struggling, and we understand that. We've got several. We've walked through, with several friends through some difficult times, but don't give up until legitimately there's no longer a chance of reconciliation. I, I know divorce is a much larger topic, but I will say, after twenty some years of experience as a pastor, a lot of people give up at eleven thirty when midnight would have brought change um, brought a change. Yeah. Um, there are exceptions. I mean, there can be a pattern of adultery that you just can't get over. Um, and I'm not making a rule for anybody, but I've also I've seen a lot of situations where there was one act of infidelity that 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 they were able to reconcile through. Yeah. And I also think that um, that's why you need community around you that are believers, so that you have believers that are able to um, in a situation where you know hope is warranted with Christ involved. Yeah that they can hope and believe for you and encourage right. you to. Yeah, and they're not in the emotionally fragile state you are. I mean, maybe just say it this way. We're not trying to make rules, not trying to read. I don't know your situation. If there's a, it's an abusive situation, you know, you need to get help and counseling immediately. But before, we're, I'm saying for those of you in just the midst of a difficult marriage or even where there's been infidelity, before you give up on the marriage, at least give the power of grace a chance and have outside counselors speak into it. Um, number nine, number nine, truly forgive, truly forgive. I, you know, let me just, I, I, it's hard for me to, to improve on what Ken Sand says. He says, true forgiveness means I will not think about this incident again. I will not bring it up again or use it against you. It, it, it's like spent ammunition. I'm not going to, you know, it's, it's an empty casing, no more charge left in it. Um, number three, I will not talk to others about it. And number four, I will not allow it to stand between us or hinder our relationship. Um, you know, don't get historical in your arguments. We talk about, uh, you know, don't get hysterical, but don't get historical either and start bringing up all these kinds of things that they've done. Another thing I think we found helpful here is, is, is not confusing forgiveness and reconciliation. Reconciliation requires two people, both this person who sinned and 
the person who has to forgive, but forgiveness only takes one person. And you can forgive without reconciling. Because some of you hear this, you say, well, I'd forgive them if they if they apologize. You should forgive them before they apologize, even if you don't quite reconcile yet. Because they can't you can't reconcile until they change this behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, the the alternative to forgiveness is bitterness. And bitterness is like trying to punish the other person by holding poison in your own body. So you can forgive them even if you've got a little work to do on reconciliation. Yeah, that's true. Okay, last one is remember what Jesus did for you. Undergirding all of these things is is that concept that that the cross has to be like your focus, the thing that you kind of run through your mind, that you spend time, you know, thinking about, meditating on and like what was forgiven to you and and comparing it to how much you have to forgive. And again, I think we've said it a couple of times, but this is in the context of um someone who is generally speaking, you know, who is safe, who is trustworthy, but is um, is you guys have conflict. And so compared to what you have been forgiven, you have to forgive very little in this situation. And so that's important to remember that because it does make it easier and more doable. Yeah, maybe it's a good place to end. When we see the problems in our marriage and the conflict, it's that the cross has been really small in our lives. And we've always believed in it, but the cross has to grow larger. Uh, one of the stories I always tell um, – about this came from, I think we've been married for just a couple of years and Veronica and I were both really upset at each other, both felt disappointed, let down, frustrated. And a counselor just looked at both of us and particularly at me. And he said, your problem is you think of yourself as primarily sinned against and only secondarily sinner. He said, I'm not saying you haven't been sinned against. And there's a place to talk about that. He said, but what is poisoning your relationship is that neither of you really have a concept of how much you've been forgiven of. The cross is really small. And because of that, um, you, you you carry bitterness into this as if you're some righteous person who's been wronged rather than a sinner who's been forgiven of far more than you're being asked to forgive your spouse of. And so as the cross grows larger, the relationship, even in the midst of things that need to be improved, it, it just it just grows sweeter. And you can also, in that moment, then you can start to love them for Jesus' sake. Um, you know, I, we, think, I, we think of a friend of ours who, a couple that was just going through a really difficult time. And um, I actually think in marriage counseling, the wife said, make sure I get the story right, where she said to um, you know, the counselor and to her husband, I'm not here because of him. He doesn't deserve it. Doesn't deserve for me to be here, but Jesus is. He deserves me to be here. I'm here because of him. She said, I'm here for Jesus. Yeah. And so you know, even though you don't want to stay that way forever, it's a good place to hold on to. It's like even when my, my spouse doesn't deserve at least I don't think they deserve my grace and my patience. Jesus, who has forgiven me of far more than I'm being asked to forgive her of, he does. And so out of reverence for him and faithfulness to him, I can um, I can extend her grace because, because of him. Well, again, thank you so much for that wisdom and just fun to hear from Veronica as well and hear from kind of both sides of, of a marriage and how to think for having conflict and fights in a healthy way, right? Again, like I said at the beginning, we're all going to have them. So it's just helpful to know how to how to engage that in a healthy way. So really thankful for these last two episodes. Um, we're going to keep going in this series. And so we, we're excited to have you come back. Um, if you want other content from Pastor JD, maybe it's in the realm of marriage or family or anything else that you've heard on the podcast the last few weeks, we would just really encourage you to go to jdgreer.com because there's all sorts of resources from the entirety of JD's ministry. Maybe it's other podcasts, um, articles, all kinds of other stuff, sermons. Uh, so jdgreer.com is kind of like a one-stop shop, so to speak 
for all of JD's content. And so if you enjoyed this and you're wanting to unpack maybe some different topics around marriage or around family, or around parenting, that would be a great place to go, jdgreer.com. And we will see you next time on Ask Me Anything.